Welcome everyone to the Top Producer Podcast. Uh, this is Paul Neefer, your host. And today we're going to have a conversation with uh, R.D. Schrader from, oh, I, I'm going to get this wrong. It's the the formal name. Help me out. What's the formal name of the company again, R.D.? Yeah, Schrader Real Estate and Auction Company. Okay, well, I, I sort of, I probably could have gotten that right. But, uh, uh, and uh, how's the weather? You know, we're actually, on Monday, we were 81 degrees here in the Denver metro area. And on Sunday, we're going to be 30 for a high. So I'm just curious how it looks back in Indiana. Yeah, we are unseasonably warm. We were about 80 degrees in sunshine Tuesday. We're more like 60 degrees and, and gray today, but uh, uh, warmer than typical, that's for sure, for this time of year. And actually, last week, I was in Maryland uh, riding on a combine, and then I was in Iowa on my uh, near my farm, uh, both riding on a combine, mostly operating a combine. And I, I guess I didn't screw it up too bad because they want me to come back next year and actually operate the combine for two or three days. So we'll, yeah, we'll see how that happens. But uh, <laughs> you, know, you can't take the combine out of the farm boys, so to speak. So, uh, you know, we always like to start off with your background, uh, where you grew up, college, uh, you know, whether you've done this your whole career or did something else before you came back to the firm. Uh, well, uh, the, the audience always likes to get that background. Yeah, so I'm in Whitley County, Indiana, so the northeast portion of the state. Columbia City is the town. We're about 20 miles west of, of Fort Wayne. Uh, I did my undergrad work at a, a small college, Grace College, because I wanted to continue playing basketball, so I played a little college ball there. And then I got my master's uh, in agricultural economics at Purdue University. Okay, so what uh, what position did you play in basketball? I was the point guard. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I messed up. I, I grew up on, well, my grade school had six kids in my class and, and I could jump, you know, actually I could two hand yeah. dunk a basketball until I was age 25 yeah. and I'm only 5'10". But yeah. so I pretended like I was a center. Well, as I got older, I didn't get any taller and, you know, I didn't develop <laughs> a jump shot. So, uh, you know, that's, that, that's, uh, that, that's okay. So now, after college, did you come back to the firm or did you do other stuff before you came back? Yeah, I came back to the firm after school, you know, did a lot of different summer jobs, but uh, uh, I'm third generation. And so company's been around now for 79 years. And uh, so I came back uh, once I completed my master's. Well, and your first name is actually Rex, but that's your dad's first name. And so you had to shorten it to RD. Is that right? Is that how yeah, it works? Yeah, that's right. I came back and we soon learned you couldn't have uh, two Rexes in the same office and he couldn't be big Rex and me little Rex the rest of my <laughs> life. So I, I got the initials in the deal. Well, he was that, here first. <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. So, well, I think many of our listeners probably are aware of your firm, but for those that are not aware, uh, let's just go through... What is it? Like I say, it sounds like it started 79 years ago, but let's go through the history. I think it'd be pretty interesting to get the history of the firm. Yeah, well, when my grandfather started, um, they sold a little bit of everything. And of course, back then, if you if you sold a farm, you sold 40 acres and some chickens and some pigs and some cows and a couple of horses. And uh, he also uh, owned a couple cell barns uh, with his brother and uh when my father came back, uh, focused more on the real estate side. And uh, through the 80s, the multi-track uh, method developed. And so uh, my father and his partner, Gene Klingerman, 
uh, were involved in in uh, a lot of joint ventures and and uh, uh, working with other companies as business expanded uh, through those years. And uh, today uh, we've had auctions in 40 different states and uh, it's large land auctions that get us across uh, the country, uh, but sell a lot of agricultural equipment. And we sell private treaty uh, as well as to auction. So when you say multi-track uh, or let's go with the history. So originally the history really for a real estate auction was it would be, let's say, uh, dad's retiring or dad's passed away or mom's passed away and they're just selling the the quarter section how did it evolve into the multi-tracker just explain that a little bit more for the listeners um really the multi-track evolved out of the tough years of at, in the 80s where there just were not a lot of buyers you know if a, if a neighbor didn't want the farm there may not be a lot of interest in a farm and so it was trying to get it farms broke down some bite-sized pieces where there could be some more interest and the market would be a little more fluid. And so uh, those bite-sized pieces have to be marketable, but uh, uh, you know, if, if you can cater to the market and offer uh, the farm in pieces, it just makes for more competition. The farm can still be bid on in its entirety. Uh, in our process, you can bid on an individual track or any combination of tracks or, or the entire property. And so, you know, it, it has a lot of meaning, especially on larger properties. We've sold a lot of large ranches. We've sold a lot of large blocks of timber land for timber companies. And so the idea of making a free market economy where the small buyers can compete against the large buyer and everybody has a fair chance to give their best bid uh, just creates a very fluid marketplace and tends to maximize the value of a property. So if you got, let's say you have an auction that there's 10 tracks and you start the auction, let's say the high bid is $12,000 an acre, just as an example, that mm -hmm. person that bids 12,000, they can pick track one, track two, track eight, or they can pick one, two, three, four, five, or they can pick all 10. Is, is Essentially, that's how you're saying it works? Well, that's a little more, I think you're thinking more of a, a high bidder's choice scenario where whoever is the high bidder on a per acre basis can pick their track uh, or tracks at that price and leave the rest behind. And in our method, we'll take bids on each individual track. If there's 10 tracks, we start with track one, go to track two, down through track 10. But after we get through those individual tracks, we open it up and people tell us how they want to put the farm together, whether they want to bid on a couple tracks together, whether they want to put all 10 tracks together, if they want to continue to bid on individual tracks. And so everybody has a chance to get in and compete and, and, and put the property okay. together the way they'd like. And we just keep showing the total, keep giving them the flexibility, put it together any way they would like. And it's just whatever way totals the most dollars. And I'm guessing for most of your auctions now, it's both what in person and also online, or or is that still is it still more in person, or or how's that mix changed over the last few years? Yeah, well, you know, we always offer the online component. When you start talking about multiple tracks, we believe and have been convinced by uh, you know also doing online only that it's best to be able to. Uh, look the buyers in the eyes and have the buyers have easy access to you and be sitting in the room. And when you're spending 
you know, the kind of money these farms are bringing these days, a lot of folks would rather be in the room. And so we, we typically always offer that live component and, you know, the vast, vast majority of buyers want to be there and uh, see it unfold. Yeah, it's been interesting. I've only been to two live auctions, farm auctions, one back in the middle of the pandemic, the summer of 2020. I was uh, in, in live there and I was bidding on some ground and what had happened, they started, and this was good ground. I mean, last year was 260 bushel uh, corn ground. Um, they started the bid at 5,000, nobody bid. So they dropped it to 3,000. I ultimately end up buying a quarter section, almost a quarter section for for $5,800 per acre. Now, these days, you know, I'd be a lot higher than that. But about a year later, so Labor Day of 2021, I was in the boot hill of Missouri, uh, and they were more of that type auction process I was talking about, you know, not the multi, but the other one. Um, you know, there was 60 people there. The first uh, bid took about 17 seconds for somebody to pop it up to like $11,500. So just a year and a half difference uh, during the pandemic definitely was was different. What what do you see now with with the auction um, environment? Is it is it still pretty healthy or are things slowing down? I'm just curious how, how that's looking right now. Yeah, it's some interesting dynamics. We've had some incredible appreciation over the last three or four years in the farmland market. You know, we kind of had a high back there around 2013, 2014. And when incomes came down, then land value started coming down, um, getting into this last four or five years. Uh, just tremendous, tremendous competition over the last a uh, couple years with these interest rates, I would say that, you know, most recently there's probably fewer buyers uh, than there were a year or two years ago. But, you know, Paul, there continues to be a lot of cash out there looking for a home. Uh, a lot of operators, you know, what they do own has appreciated in some pockets, the better part of 50% over the last four years or so. And so, um, there, there's still a lot of folks out there that are looking to buy. And so the market may be a little more hit and miss today than what it was a year ago. I mean, in this last week, we had a couple of sales that were highs in those areas, just tremendous competition. Uh, and yet once in a while, you'll see a pocket uh, where uh, you, you're off that high. So, uh, you know, the market is leveling compared to what we've seen over the last couple, three years. These interest rates will continue to impact things, but there's still a lot of cash out there looking for a home and still a lot of competition for for farmland. Yeah, I was, I was reading and actually did a blog post, I think, on one of the more recent Chicago Fed, you know, ag credit or ag uh, outlook. And it was interesting, you know, Iowa and Illinois have sort of, you know, a couple quarters ago are starting to level off a little bit. But I was curious to see that Indiana was the hot market in in that district, which is primarily, if my memory is right, it's uh, it is Michigan, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana. Can't remember if it's Ohio, and I think it's Wisconsin too. But uh, is that what you're seeing? Is that Indiana tends right now has at least been the hot market? Yeah, it has just been extremely strong. And, you know, we sell uh, throughout uh, the Corn Belt. Um, and, you know, depending on different 
variables, you get spikes in states at different times. And, you know, you could talk about a lot of different variables, but from year to year, maybe the most important variable is the weather. And so right here in Indiana, we have benefited from multiple years of awfully good yields, awfully good weather resulting in awfully good yields and, and awfully good prices, you know, and sometimes it's hard to put good years back to back where you have a uh, have good yields and good prices, but we've been blessed in Indiana with some awfully strong years. And, and you know, a lot of the states through the Corn Belt, that's true, but uh, it, it's been particularly profitable uh, in Indiana here recently. Yeah, I can I can tell you because that 260 corn last year, this year, it wasn't anywhere near that. We were in the, if you look on the Iowa, eastern Iowa, the red zone for the drought is is definitely right over the top of my farm so uh yeah, yeah that's there, that, that's yeah. just the way it is and next year it may move yep. over to indiana that's that's the no, that's exactly weather. right yeah so <laughs> well uh, rd we're going to go ahead and take a quick break for a sponsor message then i want to go back or come back and talk about maybe the machinery side and some of the other things that that your company does besides the uh, farm real estate side sounds good paul How many years away is the long run for a farmer? Five years? Ten years? Top producers like Hans Reinchi, a blue diamond farming company in Jessup, Iowa, know RoboAgri Finance shares his enduring vision for the future. Whether it's building our grain site, or if it's purchasing the next field, we're able to turn to Robo as a trusted partner to help us get financing to make those generational decisions. With unmatched financial capacity, local relationship managers, and a global network of sector experts to offer market guidance, RoboAgri Finance provides enterprising farmers with a personalized approach to lending and financial services. Growing a better world together, RoboAgri Finance. Welcome back, everyone, to the Top Producer Podcast. This is Paul Neefer, your host, and we're going to rejoin our uh, conversation with R.D. Schrader from Schrader uh, Real Estate and Auction or Auction. Uh, I messed it up again, R.D. What was it again? Yeah, Schrader Real Estate and Auction Company. Well, then I, I guess I wasn't uh, too far off. So, you know, before the break, we were talking about the, the farm real estate, and we'll probably continue to talk about that a little bit. But your company doesn't just do farm real estate. What are the other services that you do? And let's let's dig into that a little bit. Yeah, there's a strong focus on farm equipment, um, and we'll do lots of different personal property. But uh, but uh, the primary niche on the personal property side is farm equipment. What is the, you know, I, I'm I'm gonna date myself. So I grew up on a farm in the '70s. You know, that's when I was a teenager. And I remember my dad, because we were out in the Palouse country, right on the edge of the Palouse country. We were on steep ground. I mean, uh, my home yeah. farm had 450 feet of elevation change in 150 acre fields. So um, we used Caterpillar tractors, uh, steel tracks, you know, not like the Challengers now. And my dad, my memory is my dad bought a brand new D5, Caterpillar D5 for like $32,000 in 1972 and in 1979, he sold it for $39,000. Yeah. 
And, you know, that was when, you know, definitely times were good in ag. And so the last four or five years, I think we've seen similar trends, but I'm just curious what, what has been the trends maybe with equipment during that 14 to 19 time period? And then what's the trend in equipment since then? Yeah. You know, again, on equipment incomes have a big impact. Um, and so, with the incomes, better income series last few years, we've just seen some tremendous record-breaking equipment prices. And, you know, the supply side issues uh, going through COVID and, and coming out of COVID uh, just created a lot of pressure, a lot of demand for used equipment that, you know, we still haven't totally got on the other side of. So uh, the demand continues to be good. Uh, the uh, prices are off uh, down some from the highs, um, but quality equipment that is well taken care of is, is still bringing a premium and, and awfully strong in this market. Um, there was a point there where just, boy, anything that you, you threw up there, no matter what its condition was, uh, there was people fighting for it. And, and we've kind of come out of that period a little bit here, but the, the good quality stuff is still awfully, awfully strong. Okay, now I got to ask you, I, I didn't grow up green. I grew up yellow and red, Caterpillar tractors, international combines. So mm -hmm. so is yeah. John Deere still going to get the most premium versus maybe a Case IH or or any of the other products? You know, uh, day in and, and day out on average, uh, there probably is some of that tendency just uh, – you know, the, 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 the demand side there, but, you know, there's certain pockets we get into where uh, red equipment is uh, especially appreciated and you've got good red dealer. And, and uh, so, you know, that red equipment can, can certainly pop. And, you know, today's market, um, what's available online and the fact that this equipment ends up going all over the country. Um, if you have the right piece, no matter what color it is, there, there's going to be demand. Well, luckily last week I was in a 8250 Case IH, I was in a 780, and I was in an X9. So, uh, so I, I I got a good broad mix of equipment to to operate. Yeah, well, that sounds like a good day. Now you mentioned that your your I think it was your grandfather had some sales barns. Do you still have those? Or are you guys out of that business? Yeah, our market around here has changed on that side. And so we, we are no longer, I, I run cattle and I love livestock, but uh, the real estate and equipment is enough to keep us busy on the, on, on the uh, sales side. So I got to ask you on the cattle side, are you cow calf stalker? What, what type of uh, operation? Yeah. Angus cow calf. Okay registered or uh, just regular angus yep. registered and sell some seed stock and we okay. do a lot of ai and a little embryo work and so okay. uh lines livestock helps me keep my sanity and uh, <laughs> uh, you know it's interesting uh, my wife and i moved to a oh about a 200 acre little ranchette i'm going to call it in southeastern washington before we came to colorado and and we ended up with about 11 miniature herefords you know we started with miniature herefords and my wife hated them so the miniature herefords had to disappear so we ended up with like like 14 goats and 20 chickens or something like that so and we had a couple of pigs for a while but uh, my wife didn't appreciate the pigs so uh, <laughs> that, that was okay so uh, now do, do you do a, a, an auction, uh, you know, an annual seed stock auction? Is that how you do it? Or, or uh, I'm just curious on that. 
No, we don't have an annual sale. We may be there uh, at, at some point, but send bulls to the bull test and just uh, sell a lot uh, to uh, um, to bull buyers and, and heifer buyers. Yeah, it was curious. I, I took a tour of a, of a sow unit, about a 6,000 head sow unit a few years back. And you know, besides the smell, I mean, the smell is, you, you, it takes you a while to get used to that. Uh, but it was curious, you know, to tell when to preg or AI, I should say, when to AI the sow, you know, they would bring a boar by, you know, the boar would walk by and I guess the tail on the sow would curl up and come up in the air. And that's when they knew it was time to AI that particular sow. Now, I will admit that was the most frustrated boar I've ever seen in my life. So uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, my, I, I always raised some hogs as a youngster. Of course, AI wasn't popular with the hogs back then, but uh, my son had some sows around and uh, we raised pigs. And so we went through that exercise quite a bit. I personally, I'd much rather AI a cow than a sow, but uh, <laughs> it's their own, I guess. Exactly. And then I remember, uh, I remember I watched, uh, maybe this is TMI, but it's not my personal stuff, but watching Yellowstone episode a couple of years ago when, uh, you know, they were trying to get the, the, the semen out of the, out of the horse, you know, out of the stallion. And that, that was pretty interesting to watch that on uh, national TV. So, yeah, uh, yeah, so yeah. actually, you know, I always, uh, end our conversation with, uh, uh, you know, three or four key questions and, I have a feeling I can maybe guess the first answer, but uh, who was your mentor? Yeah, boy, I'll tell you what, I had a couple wonderful grandfathers. You know, my father uh, was a great guy. I've had some good coaches over the years. Um, at Purdue, there was a couple guys, Jay Ackridge and Ken Foster, that were great economists and great guys that, that I would consider mentors. And so, hey, I, I've been blessed with a lot of positive influence, Paul. Okay. Yeah. And then uh, now besides the cattle, uh, do you have any hobbies? Well, I'll tell you what, I've got a, I got a great family, so I'll have a tendency to do a lot of whatever my family's doing. My wife and kids are a lot of fun to be around. Uh, uh, as we talked about, I love being in the pasture with the cattle. I'll, I'll do a little fishing and, and hunt some birds, but uh, between family and work and cattle, I, my time's pretty limited. Yeah, and actually, I'm. I think, well, maybe I mentioned at the beginning, but uh, I'm headed to Phoenix tomorrow. My youngest grandson. I have two grandsons, two granddaughters. My youngest grandson turns one on Saturday, so I'll be there hey. for the for the birthday party. All right. So, yep. I've got my first grandchild, and I tell you what, that's a, that's a good deal. That, being a grandparent beats the heck out of being a parent. I think. Yeah, my my saying is, kids are the necessary evil to get grandkids. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but uh, but kids are good too. Yeah, they're just not yeah, quite the same it. as grandkids. So now, is there anything that keeps you up at night? Oh, I don't know. The good news is, I can sleep about any time. But the the you know the geopolitical atmosphere and the extremes that we see, and and it just seems like. Uh, uh, less common sense at pretty high levels at times, you know, causes me a little consternation, but, uh, I guess those are things you can't control. You just go make the most of. Yeah. And I think if you read history, you know, we really haven't changed. I mean, they, they were, they had issues in, in a hundred years ago, they had issues 200 years ago. Yeah. So I, I think, uh, we just have to do what we can do. So, uh, and then, uh, lastly, what's your uh, definition of success in farming? Yeah, I tell you what, I, I love agriculture and, and its impact on my family. And, you know, I love the people I get to 
associate with in agriculture. And so, uh, you know, I've been blessed with a lot of profitability in agriculture. I guess everybody has a different definition of, of where you draw the line that makes you successful in agriculture. But hey, I tell you what, if you can make a living in, in agriculture, um, to me, that that's a success. I owe a lot to agriculture. Our country in this world owes a lot to agriculture. I'm, I'm just glad to be part of it. Yeah, same here, same here. Now, since you are, before we get done here, but since you are a Purdue grad, yeah. you know, the basketball tournament last year didn't start whoa, off whoa, really whoa. well. Where are you going here, Paul? <laughs> well, I just want to ask, you know, what's, what's the prognosis for this year? Hey, the best news is our two freshman guards from last year are sophomores this year. <laughs> Got a little experience under the belt in the guard play. Uh, the big man's back. We're going to be tough. Yeah, no, I think you will be. Now, I'm a Washington Husky. Our team is not very good when it comes to basketball. Now, football, you know, we'll, right. we'll we'll find out next year. We'll be playing. Well, I don't know if we – do we play you – well, it doesn't matter. We either play you next year or the year after. So, uh, yeah. we'll be part of the Big Ten or Big 20 or whatever whatever the name they're going to come up with. So Because uh, I don't think the Big Ten is very appropriate anymore. Not very applicable anymore. Uh-uh. No, it'll be Big 18, I guess. So Yeah, they're going to be traveling from Washington out to Rutgers. It's going to be a long flight to get to the games. Yeah, it's – yeah, that's uh, – that uh, – you know, travel is travel. So, well, of course, now the NFL, they're going to Europe. They're going to, well, let's see. I think the KC Chiefs is playing, is it Miami? They're playing them in Frankfurt. I think it's this week or next week. So, uh, you know, people have to get used to the travel. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we sign off? Hey, I don't think so, Paul. I appreciate your time here. It's been good to get to know you a little bit. Well, and I think uh, you definitely provide a valuable service for our farm families out there, those that A, are selling and those that are buying, because you know for every seller, you gotta have a buyer. And I think you do a great job of bringing those buyer and sellers together. Yeah, thank you, Paul. You're welcome. Well, again, this is the Top Producer Podcast, and this is uh, Paul Neifer, your host, signing off. Uh-huh.